Hello and welcome to A Future Made. I'm Anna Brzezajski, material scientist and writer. And I'm Robbie Armstrong, a reporter and journalist. Together we're bringing you A Future Made, a podcast by Heriot Watt University. In the series, we're finding out how pioneering research at Harriet Watt in the fields of science, business, psychology, technology, design and engineering is helping to change the future, solve the problems of today and make an impact on the global stage. This is the third and final episode in our psychology mini-series. Today, we're talking about ageing well with academics in the university's Department of Psychology. We'll speak to Alan Gow from the university's ageing lab, as well as academics we've heard from in the first two episodes. Plus, we'll chat to Harriet Watt alumnus Ryan Gray. How does our psychology change as we age exactly? And what impact do societal perceptions and expectations have on the ageing process? We'll be digging a bit deeper into these questions today. As you get older, you get more confident and you do things you probably wouldn't have done years ago. Being out and about, doing stuff, staying active, not giving up and sitting in front of the sofa. Right, so first up, Anna, do you feel young? And what does young even mean to someone in this sort of betwixt age? I think I still see myself as a young person, but then my rail card ran out last month and then that made me realise that I'm not as young as I thought. (laughs) And I do still find it really viscerally shocking when extremely successful people, I don't know, musicians or sports people are younger than me. But obviously they are like the the vast majority of them are younger than me. (laughs) By the time my parents were my age, they had they were at least two rungs up the property ladder. They had two children or like one and then one on the way. Um, Whereas I my stage of life is very much not at those stages. yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So aging has changed, I think. And psychologically, it changes for the individual. Yeah on a daily basis, I think. How about you? I don't know if I should be saying this, but outside of my flat, I live on the third floor and there's a, from my desk, I can see the off license <laughs> from from my window. And basically there's just like a queue of young people who meet up with some pretty unsavory characters who go in and buy them like, mm-hmm. I don't know, booze. Yeah. And they go in and buy vapes and stuff like that. But that makes me feel really old because I'm <laughs> seeing this and I'm like, oh my, how long ago, you know, yeah. were, maybe not me I'm not going to say me but how long ago you know were people of my cohort (laughs) engaging in these sorts of activities and then the other thing that happened uh, yesterday we were I was going uh, into town to watch a film at the cinema um, with my pal and some two kids walked past us and they were sort of looking a bit cheeky and then they got off the train and then the train started pulling away from the station and then it was almost like we'd just driven through a car wash like all of this like white foam just like sprayed me in the face and soaked me and got in my hair and stuff (laughs) and then we looked we looked to the right and there was these two kids with a fire extinguisher that they'd taken (laughs) from the train (laughs) and then just like absolutely like powered it through the open window and soaked Oh my gosh. And that made me feel re- really old because I got punked by a couple of you know teenagers. <laughs> they must have seen me as like a boring old person <laughs> yeah. if they decided to do that to me. I know it's when you see you yourself through the young people's eyes that's when I think you feel especially old. I do anyway. <laughs> 
This takes us on to Alan Gow, who's a professor in psychology and the deputy director of the Centre for Applied Behavioural Sciences. And he's also the director at the Ageing Lab, which explores interventions to improve the health and well-being of older people. And here he is on the importance of ageing well. Ageing is something that affects all of us in, in some respect. And what can we do to make sure ageing is... Is, is a positive experience for as many people as possible. That, that's absolutely the heart of what me and, and many other researchers in this field would be keen to explore. So I'll often use the expression thinking skills to talk about the kinds of things that I'm interested in, but it's really important to reflect on the fact that you know, thinking skills covers a whole range of things. It covers our, our memory, it covers our word and number skills, it covers our ability to plan, to pay attention, our reasoning, our problem solving, our speed of thinking. So the reason that sometimes I'll say things like thinking skills in general is to just capture you know, a lot of things in, in a nice, easy phrase, but we really need to think about the specifics underneath that. Why? Well, because different types of thinking skills develop and change in different ways across the lifespan. So for example, something like our speed of thinking, we call it processing speed, but basically the speed at which we can take in information via our senses, do something with that and respond appropriately, that peaks reasonably early in the lifespan. Whereas something like our vocabulary, our word knowledge, our general knowledge is likely to be continuing to develop and maintain through later life. So what are the variables then that affect how we age? So Alan actually told me that it's far more complex than most people would expect. Hundreds, if not thousands of things might affect the development and the changes that we see in our thinking skills across the lifespan. Now, let's take a wee pause and say, well, actually, we often see those things reported in reasonably simple ways. I'm sure all of the folks listening will have seen headlines that say, do this one thing. Here's the... Here's the top three things. Now, some of those are, are correct in the sense that those things might be important, but we really don't think there is a singular key secret ingredient to keeping sharp as we get older. And that leads us to say, well, oh, is that a tricky message or a, a good message? I personally think it's actually good that there are dozens and dozens of things that might be important because it means that rather than putting all of our eggs and effort into one basket to keep sharp when we're older, it maybe means lots of small, more manageable changes to help thinking skills when we get older. So let's take a few things. So lifestyle covers a whole range of things are the things we choose to do or not do uh, working life social environment diet smoking it's a whole host of things so that's the bit that i'm particularly interested in so we got a couple of examples there but do you have any other suggestions or ideas of what you can and can't do to help your cognitive function and your memory skills and to age well yeah i think i would have assumed Things like social interactions definitely would keep your brain sort of sharp. Physical things like good sleep, you know, eating well, keeping your body healthy for sure. A while ago, my dad worked with a choir where he lives, which is called Music for Memory. And it was it was kind of bringing older people who were experiencing dementia and Alzheimer's type degeneration, basically just bringing them into a choir and, you know, singing, singing with them. And music, I think, is a really powerful one that 
is very deeply ingrained. So the people that were actually had quite advanced um, memory difficulties in their daily lives could remember all of the songs from their childhood and really enjoyed that experience. Bad stuff, I guess. Funnily enough, most of the things I thought of were kind of physical health things, like obviously drinking, smoking, like was mentioned, poor diet, stress and cortisol in the brain, I know really affects memory. But in terms of behaviours, I'm not sure. I guess it's the not doing all of the things that I mentioned, the not socialising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting that you mentioned music. Music is obviously scientifically proven. It engages all parts of our brains and stuff, but mm. also the choir. That is similar to the example I was going to give, which is dancing, because not only are you doing an activity, right. but you're also socialising and speaking at the same time. Yeah. So you're training your brain to do something different and then you've got to engage with people and you're dead right. Socializing is so important mm. to aging well. So one of the ways to approach it is just to try and do something different every day. Mm. And that helps our cognition. So, you know, whether that is painting, cooking, doing photography, sport, whatever it is, it's maybe treating your brain a bit more like a muscle. Mm. Um, so trying to work it in different ways. Being physically active, keeping physically active um, is, is on that list. Not smoking or if you do smoke, reducing, trying to, to stop Alcohol is a really interesting one. Uh, excessive alcohol consumption seems to be not so good for brain health, as we might expect, but but light to moderate drinking often reported as being beneficial. Um, being socially connected, being you know um, well connected with friends and family, uh, having mentally stimulating uh, pastimes, all of these things and many, many more might be important. And so uh, when we see these messages that you know one thing is important or these top three things, it's not quite as simple as that. But I think the broader message that lots and lots of things are important is actually more um, powerful. I thought it might be good here to bring in Tusha Rajendran, who we heard from in a previous episode discussing wellness and technology. Tusha is a professor of developmental psychology, also working at the Edinburgh Centre for Robotics. So there's a hypothesis by Robin Dunbar about why our brains are so big. And the frontal lobe, the neocortex part of our brain, is largely, or lots of it, to do with the social interactions that we are involved in. So if you look at the size of our brain, it's six times larger than it should be for an animal of our size, for a mammal of our size, partly because we're also on two legs and we're born very young. Our brains are very underdeveloped because we're born in later that we die in the birth canal. So a large part of our, our brain is to do with the social development. The back part of our brain is to do with vision, a lot of that. So there's a really nice sort of interaction and understanding about how we are as social creatures and how important that is. And that's something that we shouldn't really forget about. I think the pandemic, if nothing else, has taught us about how much we need each other. Yeah, I couldn't agree with him more. That's a really wild fact. I had no idea that our brains are six times disproportionately bigger for the size of our body. (laughs) He was saying there, like, our brains can't get any bigger because we wouldn't get out of the birth canal. Like, that's how big our heads are, which is crazy. Yeah, right. We've sort of got to the maximum, like, brain size. And it's (laughs) like, right, you can't get any smarter, yeah, with our our physiology. Mm. We also heard from Mary Stewart in a previous episode. She's an associate professor at the School of Social Sciences and director of the Social Interaction Mental Health and Wellbeing Lab, where they focus on social participation in autism and the intersectionality of autism and ageing. They run projects which focus on primary school, secondary school, university, employment and social care. 
As somebody gets older, well, we know our health deteriorates, our health and well-being deteriorates as, as we get older. And so as we come through with natural life changes, then that can mean that there's more interaction with other services, so there's more need for services, but yet society hasn't yet learned how to work with autistic people. So it just there may be more interactions in a time when you're not feeling so good. So you can imagine if you've got, so lots of people have had COVID recently or had the flu or a cold, but if you're not feeling great and then you have to communicate with somebody that doesn't communicate with you in a way that you understand or that 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 um, is easy, then that's a much larger burden. So there's a bit of a compounding effect here, right? Because the life changes that older people go through, I think have a tendency to see them increasingly isolated, right? You know, first they might retire and so they don't have the workplace type social interactions. Then they might, you know, live further away from family or family changes. Their spouse might pass away or their friends begin passing away. And so that social circle shrinks and shrinks and shrinks at a time when it's most important of all for them to keep socialising. And I think Mary was getting onto a similar thing with, you know, people that experience autism or that have autism is that, the barrier to social interaction can be greater if they find that it, they do find difficulties interacting with people. But those interactions are what keeps our brain healthy. Yeah, there's there's more obstacles that need to be navigated in order to get to that place where you can socialise. Yeah, like I remember the benefit for my grandma. She had dementia. You know, the art classes that she went to. She was like full of life when she'd been to a class and met people and then she could show me the pictures that she'd painted and she was like a new person that that was a challenge someone had to come and pick her up and take her there you know there's all these obstacles and with people with autism as well there's a lot more interaction they might need to go through that would be difficult or problematic in order to get to the point where they can socialize to reap those benefits exactly and so this type of research is super useful because understanding their needs is the first step to being able to provide those services We'll be back with more stories from Harriet Watts' psychology department in just a moment. But first, we're going to hear from a Harriet Watt graduate about how being at the university is giving them new and brilliant opportunities out there in the real world. Hi, I'm Ryan Gray. I'm currently a PhD student at Harriet Watt Ageing Lab, and I did my undergraduate degree in psychology at Harriet Watt. My PhD is currently looking at musical training and the effect it might have on delaying age-related cognitive decline. So one of the things I'm enjoying most about the PhD is feeling part of this kind of postgraduate community. They host a lot of talks, the research futures, and I've recently started going to SEPNet workshops. And yeah, I'm really enjoying meeting other like-minded PhD students and hearing a lot about other people's research. So throughout my undergraduate degree at Harriet Watt, I think the most important thing the university did was to provide me the opportunity to connect with interesting, engaging, and most importantly, supportive lecturers and professors who gave me a really clear insight into the world of research. And that's why I've, I've pursued that for my career. One of the things I enjoyed most about my undergraduate degree was living in Edinburgh and all the opportunities and things to do. Also lovely to come into such a beautiful campus. It's so green, there's plenty of walks, there's a lovely lock there as well. 
and it's, it's a very nice place to study, especially during the summer. If you're interested in finding out more about psychology or any other course at Harriet Watt, head to www.hw.ac.uk. You're listening to A Future Made, a podcast from Harriet Watt University with Anna Pajajski and Robbie Armstrong. So far, we've been hearing from academics from Harriet Watt's Department of Psychology. Still to come, can puzzles stave off dementia? Right, Anna, I'm not sure if you've heard the terms fluid versus crystallised thinking. Well, this confused me a lot because fluids and crystals are very much in my wheelhouse of materials engineering, materials science, so I'm not quite sure how that links up with thinking. These words refer to different types of brain function. Mm. So thinking speeds peak in your early 20s, apparently. Oh, no. It doesn't actually mean that you're like getting old. It's just that the speed of thinking is one of your fluid abilities. Mm. They're not fixed. So Alan describes these as like wobbly. (laughs) They peak early and they gradually decline. But in doing so, this allows us to develop what he calls these crystallized thinking skills. And they are hard and fixed. Once we've got them, they're locked in and they continue. Okay. So, have you got your head around that? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So here's Alan. So the idea that as we get older, we might be a wee bit slower isn't problematic because the speed that we had early in our lifespan, the thinking speed, the processing speed we had early in our lifespan, has allowed us to accrue a whole range of strategies of ways to solve problems. And so we often think about um, something that has been referred to as the speed accuracy trade-off. So not in every individual case, but on average, younger people might do things a bit more quickly. So if you give them a, a, a specific uh, test, they might do it more quickly, a bit less accurately, because they do it quickly and overall the performance is fine because they've, they've rattled through many more questions. An older adult, and again, just on average, not every older adult, but an older adult might take it a bit more slowly, but attempt to be more correct and accurate. So as one type of skill might peak and decline reasonably early, what sits behind that is then what keeps us going through our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. That that accrued knowledge, that understanding of how to solve a problem. Yeah, so we can actually look forward to our ways of thinking sort of changing and crystallising. Um, giving us some yeah new abilities that we didn't have previously in life. Yeah, even if you're not as snappy and you're not you know coming up with answers quite as quickly, yeah. the answers might not necessarily be more correct. Yeah. You're just coming up with more of them. Sure. So we can look forward to doing better on the pub quiz. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> so another point that Alan made was that we actually need to change the language that we use when it comes to memory and aging. When I talk about thinking skills, I try and avoid the words like decline uh, and talk about change uh, because there are opportunities at every stage of the lifespan to continue building capacity or slowing down the kinds of changes that we might uh, be um, often expecting. And it might be at different parts of the lifespan, different lifestyles and behaviours are important. So some work that I was involved in um, a few years ago with a, a sample of people who had been tested through their 70s um, and 80s but we had information on them from childhood and through mid-adulthood. And it seemed to be the people who were more mentally and socially active in midlife seemed to be doing better when they were in their 70s. But the people who were more physically active later then saw less decline. And so we might have different parts of the lifespan where different lifestyle factors are more 
or less important. There is a lot more work to be done in that regard. Um, so um, it's not the case that people should start to sort of think, right, I'm this age, what are the specific things? We're not quite at that level yet, but across the lifespan, we, we, we may well get to the point of thinking different lifestyle factors are more or less important. In terms of your sort of thinking skills and cognitive difficulties and stuff like that and memory, I wonder if you have any idea of how much of that is down to predisposition and how much that's down to lifestyle factors. I don't really know much about the brain at all, but what I assume is that it is quite a kind of malleable thing. So my guess is that it would be almost entirely lifestyle. Here is Alan with the expert's take. When we asked in our big survey, what keeps you sharp, people thought it was maybe 50-50, 50% genes, 50% lifestyle. From a study led by a team at Edinburgh, they suggested changes across the whole lifespan might be about 25% related to our genes leaving maybe about 75% for our lifestyle. Now, those are only broad estimates, but even if that's partly replicated, the suggestion that lifestyle might be more important. Certain things are fixed from early on, certain things we've inherited and we've got limited control over, but actually there might be a large proportion that's still up for grabs at every part of the, the lifespan. And that's what I really want to find out. What are the lifestyles and behaviours we can do more of or less of um, to really boost our brain health as we get older? So that does sum up quite well the work they're doing. And and apparently 40% of global incidences of dementia are down to societal factors. Mm. And actually they're adding more and more of these factors as they go. So this is just the sort of lower, perhaps the lower estimate. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've read lots of studies like that as well. You know, um, pollution, where you live, all sorts of environmental factors as well can sort of tie into causes of dementia. I was quite interested in this idea of ageing well and what that means to different people. So I went out into my local area, which is a very sort of diverse area of Glasgow and a very wide mixture of ages as well. I don't have any qualms about ageing, but mobility probably is a problem. I wouldn't like to be immobile. And what does ageing well like mean to you? What Do you think you're ageing well and what would that involve? I think it means that you can do what you want to do and as you get older you get more confident and you do things you probably wouldn't have done years ago, like jump out of planes and things like that. So you don't do those sorts of things anymore as you, as you age well? Or you do? You want to do more adventurous things? Yeah, I do. I do all that stuff. I've got to be travelling on my own and jump out of planes and go surfing and yeah and you've only done that like later on you didn't do that when you were younger that started maybe six five six years ago when I was younger I had three kids so it wasn't really an option to jot off on my own so because you do those things that you would feel that you are aging like well in a positive way because you're sort of pushing yourself yeah I don't feel any different to be honest with you I feel more confident and I can do what I want are you scared of anything, like about getting old? Yeah, definitely. What sort, what sort of things worry you? I might not be as strong as I am right now. So, I mean, it's always very scary, you know, getting old and, you know, you might just seek amnesia. A lot of things can go wrong. So, like, losing your memory, that's something? My memory, yeah, that's, that's like my worst fear, losing my memory. And do you think that you're ageing well? And what would ageing well look like to you? Me, personally, I think I'm ageing well because 
Yeah, everything is fine. I play sports and all that. But I think aging well will mean, you know, good health. Good health generally. Just having good health till your old age. Something like that. What would your biggest fear be about growing old? Uh, probably not being able to do the things that I enjoy doing probably through to ill health and lack of mobility. That's it, really. Do you think you're ageing well and what does that mean? Yeah, I think I am ageing well, but I think that's probably due to having a fairly healthy lifestyle, being active, eating fairly well and being lucky and privileged, really. <laughs> and we got some of the sort of top fears as well there. You know, physical health is obviously important, but memory did come up. Mm. Perhaps not as much as I was expecting, maybe more common in that little straw poll was, was physical health. Mm. But, you know, losing your memory is mm. clearly right up there for people. But it's important to note how much people... Uh, associate their ability to age well with their physical health and being able to do the things that they do as a young person, being able to do them as they get older as well, which isn't possible and doesn't necessarily mean you're aging badly. It just means, you you know, you need to adapt and change as you grow older and maybe pick different sports. That was one thing that came up as well. New hobbies and skills. Yeah. Mm, nice. Yeah, sure. Skydiving could be one. <laughs> Swimming might be another. <laughs> so another another question for you. Two questions, actually. Mm -hmm. Do you like word puzzles, crossword, scrabble, any of those things? And do you think that they're good for memory or cognitive function? Yeah, you know, I was going to add Sudoku or crosswords to our list that we had above of... You know the good things that you can do for your memory. Um, I I do love crosswords. I'm not allowed to play Scrabble with my girlfriend because she's so competitive about it. Um, so that that's bad for our relationship if we ever play Scrabble. But I do enjoy those sorts of things, mm -hmm. and I definitely think that they must be good for cognitive function and memory and that kind of thing. Okay. And did you jump on the Wordle train? I actually didn't because I'm one of those people that is very resentful of trends. <laughs> so when I see things that are like really popular and trendy, I tend to like go against those. I don't know what that says about my psychology. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of our experts can fill me in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I was the same. I hated that people were sharing their Wordle scores. <laughs> yeah. It just really offended me as well. But then I went uh, down to my partner's parents and they were all playing Wordle every morning. Uh -huh. So I gave it a go. And honestly, it was like an addiction. and I couldn't stop doing it, even though I hated it. It's like I knew it was making me unhappy, but I just kept going. And oh, I was no. bad at it as well. But I sort of got, yeah, definitely got roped in. It was like you know a, a virus or something the way it spreads throughout the population <laughs> but uh, I eventually broke the habit but I the the whole time I was thinking this is good for my memory yes yeah. I must be you know using my brain function and all that but I don't know if that is correct really so I think we should hear from Alan on what his take is on the benefits of puzzles does doing those puzzles help our thinking skills or does having a certain type of thinking skills take us towards those kinds of puzzles? So if you're a, a very wordy person, you've got a, a large vocabulary, you might be drawn towards crosswords and Wordle and other related things. So there's that tricky thing is the previous things we're bringing in, you know, is, is there any benefit of having done the task or is it purely that, you know, we, we are, we're just being drawn to the task because we have those skills? There's a lot of discussion, um, broadly speaking, what we often see is people who do those things are usually um, more able. Um, so, you know, that can sometimes be reported as, ah, do the crosswords, it'll make you more able. 
we're actually often not able to tease that out. There has been some work that suggests what have been referred to as analogue games, so things like puzzles and other board games and things might be beneficial, but we've got to remember that chicken and an egg. So if you do them because you enjoy them, I would say continue doing them. However, um, I wouldn't worry if you're not drawn towards them, don't try and force yourself. There's probably thousands of other things you could do that are equally uh, beneficial. There's not a fix, there's not a silver bullet here. You know, there's a, a whole range of things that you can do to age well, to keep your health. Just because you can't do one thing, it's not a problem. There's always other things that you can do to, you know, keep active, keep busy, to use your brain. So I think that's quite that's quite reassuring. Yeah, I agree. And that is the crux of it, isn't it? It's whatever you do, do something. Right, because it's about that stimulation, the social interaction that we talked about. The physical health stuff can come in if it's, you know, um, stuff that you do on your feet or it's kind of exercise based. Whatever it is, the point is that it's doing something with your brain. It's that you're enjoying it. You're getting some of that social interaction. You're getting those calculations going in your brain, whether that's Wordle or whether that's, you know, dancing or skydiving, as we've heard, um, and anything in between. So it's very encouraging, actually. I feel quite hopeful at the end of this episode that we have everything that we need to be able to age as well as we can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're talking about the psychology of ageing. So it's about your approach. Mm. It's about how well you feel you're ageing and how capable you are of doing the things you want to do. So having maybe trying to have a more positive approach could improve your ability to age well, you know, Everyone always talks about it that it's just a number and that's not true because, you know, there's all sorts of physical ailments that come with growing old. But actually, if you then look, well, I can still go swimming or I can go for a walk instead of a jog or I can still go and, you know, meet my friends and we can, you know, play like cribbage or dominoes or whatever it is. You know, there's always things that you can do that are going to help to improve your brain function and such crucial work that they're doing. Mm. It's so important, like Alan said, it affects everyone. There's no one who, you know, does not at some stage have to think about this have to adapt and change so the work they're Mm -hmm. doing couldn't be more important and couldn't be more universal totally and you know we always hear about how we have an aging population um so this work is only going to be more important as our population ages and as we ourselves get older as well That brings us to the end of our psychology mini-series of A Future Made. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Just search for A Future Made. Or you can head over to Harriet Watt University's website at hw.ac.uk.